you have the pleasure to share the state with one Tom McFarlane. What is that? What is that like? Have you guys ever, uh, you know, played a played a game of pool or went out for a beer and hung out? We mostly just compete for Beauty King of Georgia, um, and we just alternate winning back and forth. Welcome to the Matt Report, the number one WordPress business podcast. This isn't geek speak. It's about the journey of success and failure as a WordPress entrepreneur. Get ready. You're just an episode away from your next aha experience or big idea. And now your host, Matt. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Episode 52, uh, Matt Report. This is uh, the episode that I got a chance to sit down with Cliff Seal, uh, who I consider an entrepreneur. He doesn't consider himself one, but it was a, a great uh, in-depth talk about all the stuff he does. I mean, he's, this is a man who's wearing many, many hats, and he's not working at night, which is just blows my mind how he does it all. But he works for Salesforce, uh, for a division of Salesforce, um, and he's working with them on their product. Uh, Pardot application, and he's also building a music application, um, SaaS app, on top of WordPress, which was just mind-melting, I guess, for lack of a better word, of the stuff uh, that goes into it. Working on some themes on the side and consulting crazy, crazy uh, systems that he has in place, uh, and he's going to share all of that knowledge uh, with us today. So if you enjoy this podcast, head on over to iTunes, leave me a five-star review. Zach Russ says, I've been running a WordPress-based consultancy for years. The Matt Report teaches me new technologies to be more efficient with my works in every episode. Thanks, Matt, for a great podcast. Zach Russ, thanks for tuning in. Brian Krogsgaard says, Matt does a great job staying on top of what's going on in the WordPress community. It's an interview format podcast that's high signal and low noise. I listen to every podcast, every episode. Uh, his guests are some of the most influential folks in the WordPress ecosystem. He digs deep, doesn't just ask the easy questions. Excellent show. Brian, thanks for tuning in. Todd and Phoenix, quality WordPress-related interviews with leaders and entrepreneurs in the community and industry. Todd, Thanks for joining in. Thanks for leaving me a five-star review. With that, on to the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Another amazing episode of The Matt Report. Today, none other than the famed Cliff Seal. Cliff, welcome to the program. Famed. Thank you. <laughs> uh, heard a lot about you on the interwebs. Heard about you from Tom McFarland. Saw some stuff coming out uh, from uh, the Twitter sphere about all the great things that you do. Uh, folks don't know you. Give them the two-minute elevator pitch, who you are, what you do. Hmm. Uh, well, I'm a user experience designer for Pardot, who is now a Salesforce company. Uh, but in that, I get to run our official WordPress plugin. Uh, I've led the charge to redesign and rebuild our site. Uh, we've actually rebuilt twice now, uh, thanks to two acquisitions. But So all that's in WordPress, so I'm kind of the resident expert on all that. Uh, but I continue to do contract work and things like that for folks and I've been doing WordPress development for about five years and came from a nonprofit before I moved to Pardot where I did WordPress design and development and all that for uh, a large church just north of Atlanta and try to keep myself involved and get the opportunity to go speak at a lot of WordCamps and things like that so in the past year I've met a whole lot more folks in the community. Nice. Yeah. Give folks the... Uh or when did you look at WordPress and say, you know what, I'm going to turn this into a freelance gig, which then turned into a career? What was your first uh, project or aha moment that said, I can make a living doing this stuff? Mm. I embarrassingly hacked apart a theme for a band that I was in at the time. 
and that was five or six years ago, I guess, probably more like six, um, and started trying to put together things on my own. WordPress was one of those things where you just, I think a lot of people have a similar experience. They just kind of come across it when they're looking at building a website and going beyond just kind of moving things around in Dreamweaver and things like that. So I found myself a theme and wanted it to look different. So I did everything wrong possible in trying to code it the way I wanted it to. And in that process, got really interested and started on my track to learn how to do that better uh, and picked up on it really quickly and eventually just started uh, helping folks, learning a lot. And before long, I was being asked to do paid work. And as soon as that happened, I realized I could learn to do something that I enjoyed and actually make a living at it. So I started my transition into that right then. Nice. Yeah. Um, you sent a ton of detail of who you are and what you do to me uh, for, my, <laughs> for my show notes. Uh, the most a guest has ever sent, so that was tremendous, and I do thank you for that. So it, it seems like you just do a lot, right? And I want to talk about, I want to get into like how, how you manage this, number one. Uh, one of the things you talked about was uh, automating yourself. I definitely want to chat about that. Mm-hmm. You're working for Pardot, which is part of Salesforce, which is amazing. You're a product lead at musicgrid.me. You know, all these things going on. I want to figure out how Cliff does this uh, every single day. Um, but let's talk about uh, how you automated yourself uh, out of that last position and what that means uh, so the, the audience can understand and maybe that's something that they can use uh, in their day-to-day or maybe they're posi- uh, transitioning out of a position uh, to start something new. Right. Uh, so obviously things never work out as perfect as we envision them when we start working on a big idea. Uh, But for the most part, what this involved was when I was working for this church, uh, a lot of my work outside of design and development and sometimes kind of venturing into marketing campaigns and stuff like that, a lot of that was very repetitive content management, basically. Uh, And so working at a really big church, we're talking, I think, nine or 10,000 members, right? So you're looking at a, a big collection of data that a lot of people depend on. Well, a lot of that was uh really repetitive. So you had different types of content. So you had sort of classes that were going on, events that were going on, and then you had informational pages, and then you had blog posts and all this kind of stuff. Uh, And so over the course of the few years that I was there, um, I led one starter redesign to kind of move them into WordPress off of a proprietary CMS and things like that. And then in doing that, uh, sort of saw a door open to kind of move a lot of the things that I was getting paid to do into just letting WordPress handle this itself. And I realized with some investment and development time and just some thought and training and things like that, that I was going to be able to move a lot of this type of content into just a decent interface and with a little bit of training for folks on on working with WordPress and a little bit of role management and things like that on the back end. I was going to be able to send out information that people were already sending me by email, right? Because they already wanted to send me the content to update it. And instead, I could just walk them through, okay, don't email me. Just pop right in here. You know, here's your custom post type, basically. Hop right in there. Here's where you know, a title goes, main content. Uh, and then through working with custom post meta and all that, and then working with a Metabox plugin so that it wasn't quite as ugly and daunting looking as the regular custom fields area is, uh, you know, here's where you plug in that, you know, here's a date picker, 
here's something that validates to make sure you're putting in a room number correctly and all that kind of stuff. And so basically I kind of went through and did information architecture on that whole thing and realized that I could get people to stop emailing and instead just work on it themselves. And in doing that, um, I knew that I was going to be able to cut down the hours of my job. Um, I mean, that was, I would venture to say a lot of times was probably 50% of my work, Mm. Um, sometimes less, but I knew that that was coming. So I knew I could kind of, I could either do that and sort of have a lot of extra strange time on my hands or pretend that I couldn't do that and just keep sort of taking that time. Uh, or I could just go for it and see what would happen when that time came. Because when I decided to see if I could automate a lot of that stuff, it was not necessarily my intention to just completely leave that position. Uh, but instead, I wanted to see kind of what the ramifications of that would be. Mm. So uh, let's paint a picture of the typical day. You might have you know half a dozen to a dozen people emailing you content or you know sending you photos or saying, hey, link to this. And you were, you know, doing the busy work of, okay, I'm going to, you know, copy paste this and kind of, you know, organize it your own way, put it into WordPress. And then you kind of realized I I could give people access to either the back end or do some front end editing stuff within WordPress. And they could just enter in this data themselves. Were you still, uh, what was your first like 1.0 version of that like? Were you allowing people to just log in and to the back end and edit stuff or were you doing some kind of funky custom front-end stuff? Uh, So sort of the initial version before I kind of really went for the automation part is uh, when we would have events, right? So there would be a ton of events for the church. And so people would be, you know, basically emailing all the same information. And then that would be an event creation process. So at the time, it was sort of like Google Calendar. So then you would replicate the data over here and then point it to the Google Calendar thing and then back and forth and kind of had this whole deal. Uh, And then over time, we realized, okay, if we move this to uh, a custom post type within WordPress, what we can do is hook up a fantastic sort of front-end Gravity Forms submission deal, right? So you can get all the information, map them to fields, ask all the extra questions we need that don't need to go into the post. So, you know, do you need video services and different things like that? So uh, combining all that into one form so that it was seamless for folks, because they were already having to fill all that out, give us all the standard information and all that kind of stuff. And so we combined the ability to put that into WordPress with the form that they were already needing to fill out to request services from the church and all that. So we mapped them all together, made some fields conditional and all this kind of stuff so that if you want to make an event, here's where you go. You go and you fill out and you give us at least the minimum amount of information. When you do, depending on what answers you put in there, it's going to email the relevant people and it's also going to go ahead and create a draft inside of WordPress. So at that point, all we need to do is go in and review, you know, edit any copy or add anything we might need to add or change anything that's wrong and whatever else and go ahead and publish. And so that automated a lot of the process before we even moved into can we do everything this way. Mm. Uh, And it had its quirks from time to time, but for the most part it worked really well for everybody because at that point everybody had records of their own submission. It was easier to review if there was a typo and things like that. Uh, we had, you know, the responders that we would send to folks had instructions for, did you just realize you had an error, what do you do, and all this kind of stuff. And so uh, that, that was on its way to saving a lot of time to start with. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm really interested in the story and, and the process that you took because um, there are 
people listening to the to the show, uh, for other freelancers, other people who are starting their WordPress business that are you know building sites, maybe for a church, maybe for some other small business, and these tasks of adding content uh, are not something that is not something that the, the typical you know Joe business person knows how to do right they they can barely sometimes they can barely log into wordpress and understand like posts and pages so my audience sometimes says hey i built this site for whatever 1500 bucks and they keep coming to me for uh, adding content and managing content they're not paying me for this Um, that's why this story is interesting because i want them to realize that through wordpress through leveraging wordpress you could kind of automate that support in a sense um, or add that as uh, building. It's a way to build a system for yourself to kind of maybe sell some support services. Um, Do you see opportunity like that? Maybe in, even in your own freelancing for those types of clients that can't even log in and and do this stuff. Yeah. It's, you know, to jump ahead just a little bit uh, when I was able to automate a lot more, right? So pretty much all the information on a massive website and parsing out all of those data types and all that stuff for people. Um, 98% of the people who are logging into WordPress at that point to manage their own content for a massive site um, didn't ever use WordPress before. Mm. It took it took a single training session. Um, sure, there are questions back and forth and all that. And even a lot of the clients that I work with on a contract basis you know, are, are only mildly familiar with WordPress or they've used a different content management system or something like that. And it's not the easiest thing in the world to do sometimes because it's hard to remember what we're sort of taking for granted uh, and all that kind of stuff, which is why it's fun to follow along with core UI and things like that in WordPress because you're so used to seeing it that it's easy to forget what people think when they're seeing it for the first time. But for the most part, if you if you really listen to folks and you stay patient and you try to map things out and collect resources and things like that through you know, WordPress.tv and other things like that. And you can kind of collect resources that you can send to folks. Over time, it's not real difficult to say, okay, bear with me here for a second client or you know, coworker or something like that and just walk with me. I'll give you notes when we're done, but let me walk you through this process. Let me walk you through exactly what you'll be doing. Let me create a new piece of content. And one of the ways I trained everybody was I sat with them and I walked through creating their first piece of content. And they took notes if they wanted to, but for the most part, they saw what it looked like to start, to put in all the information and to finish successfully, and then to know how to check their own work and all that kind of stuff. And walking through it that way, and then just being willing to respond to small questions and things like that. And also not being afraid to say, I think you took notes on that. Go back and check and see. Uh, as long as you do that and you're patient with folks, they don't mind and they learn a lot more quickly than you think. Yeah, no, I, I totally, totally agree. Um, so let's fast forward. You sort of automate yourself out of that position. What was it like to get to the new position? Was it something you were searching for afterwards? Take us through that that process. Uh, yeah, so for the most part, that was part of the whole idea was, okay, if I go for automating this, I know one of two things is possible. Um, One option is, you know, I know that they like me there, so I can stay around, uh, and I really liked that job, and, but that would mean that, you know, I would be filling in some of that time with maybe other job descriptions and things like that, and so we would have to talk through what that looked like, Uh, and so the 
other option for me at that point was, okay, I already really like my job. They value me. They value family. They take care of me and all that kind of stuff. So if I'm moving somewhere else, it's going to have to be really good. Um, and so I had already, at that point, I had already kind of been contacted by a few folks and even went through some processes and turned them down um, because money is only one small factor when you want to make sure that you're spending time with family and doing all that kind of stuff. And so uh, basically I only applied for I think about four or five different jobs at that point and they were only places in Atlanta that were known for being great places to work. So my goal at that point was if I'm going to work for a company, it's going to be a company in Atlanta that's known for being a great place to work. Um, and I do a few things really well and a few things I don't do particularly well and I want to make sure that when I'm, when I'm going to a new position um, that not only is it a great place to work overall for anybody but it's a great place to work for me. And so in that process I actually kind of found Pardot by accident and they happened to be looking for – at that time the job description was actually – Actually, the position that I applied for and went through interviewing for is, is not the position that I'm in now. Uh, but one of the things that they had in the job description was good experience with WordPress development uh, and all that kind of stuff. And so I was interested in that. And then they were there was a conversation already going online about what a great place it was to work. And at that point, it's a startup of 60, 70 people, I guess. Um, and little did I know that, you know, few weeks after I would start interviewing that they would be named the best place to work in Atlanta by the AJC. And so that, that just kind of worked out well. But really, they convinced me in the interview process that that would be a, a great place for me to work. And, uh, but in that process, uh, I was offered a job as a user experience designer instead of just focusing on sort of front end and design and WordPress. And a lot of that just came out of really interesting product conversations. Nice. Now, it's you know it's kind of interesting to see a startup uh, using WordPress or wanting to get into WordPress. Is that something that they were already building upon? Were they planning to build upon? That's why they were searching for some WordPress uh, smarts. Yeah. So they had, I think they had gone through two or three different redesign iterations at that point. But as far as I know, it had always been built on WordPress. Hmm. Uh, so I know that they were they were looking at redesigning down the road, and we did end up doing that. Um, you know, what I guess we started that. Well, we ended up launching it the first time a good year or so um, after I'd actually gotten hired. So it wasn't priority number one, but they had a WordPress plugin being developed already, and their website was built on it, and all that kind of stuff. And so, uh, and also a lot of our clients use WordPress as well, and so it was just good to to kind of be able to have somebody who would nerd out over it there and nerd out I did. <laughs> uh, so Pardot says it's a kind of marketing automation platform. Um, mm -hmm. Could you explain that to folks listening, what that actually means to them or to possibly to their clients? Yeah, so Pardot is specifically designed to be a B2B marketing automation platform, which means we can create and send emails and forms, create landing pages, uh, website tracking code, lots of different things like that. And then so through those collection techniques, we can then uh, intelligently help you sort out prospects, help you figure out who's most likely to buy a product that you're offering to make sure that you're giving relevant content to the right people. Um, and to get a little bit higher level with the whole thing, at the end of the day, it's helping marketing and sales people be more efficient, get the right content to the right people so that people can buy the products that they really need 
uh, instead of getting content that wasn't designed for them and ending up with a product that doesn't meet their needs. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, these users or these uh, these people who are buying into the platform, you said that most of them have WordPress. Um, those that don't, is it? Do you see a clear? Uh, I don't know really how to phrase this, but is there a different type of user who is not on WordPress? Um, and what are they? What are they like versus the people who are using WordPress? Is it a different mindset? Is it a different understanding of publishing on the web? Um, I've always been interested to learn people who aren't using WordPress as their CMS. What are they like? Interesting. I'm not sure that I've noticed uh, a drastic difference. I would say that it seems pretty much in line in terms of uh, the amount of people that are using WordPress versus other solutions, as it is across the web in general. You know, as you know. You know, what are we at, like 20%-ish yeah. uh, of the web in general, according to certain studies, are WordPress and then sort of trickling out from there are your, your, your common open source CMSs uh, and then you run into proprietary things and other items like that. And so we get a lot of people kind of switching over from different CMSs who are open to things, several people who are on uh, paid proprietary platforms, and then other ones who kind of are still running on homegrown ones. Um, but it's all, always fun to kind of present people with WordPress as a solution when they're sort of saying, uh, they might not even be talking about their CMS, and they're just sort of talking about issues with it in general. It could be something as easy as putting a tracking code in or something like that, and even sort of forgetting our WordPress plugin uh, which does a few really cool things in a lot easier fashion. You know, just something like when you put in a tracking code and it needs to go into the footer with WordPress, if you're doing it the right way, you're just enqueuing that thing there in the footer uh, and you're making sure you, you handle it so that it's not all hard-coded into the theme and hard to change and all this kind of stuff. And just being able to explain that to people and show them sort of if you know where you're going about things or how you're going about things and you know how to do them correctly in WordPress, you end up getting a really future-proof platform for yourself and it ends up being easy to move forward and to scale and to change things without having to constantly hire a development team. And honestly, you know, this is probably an overgeneralization, but now that I think about it, you ask about different mentalities. I see a lot of people who are not using WordPress and who are using sort of something something different, some other CMS or something like that. And, and I see them talk about how, uh, paying their development team. Sometimes it's a remote team or whatever else, but constantly having to kind of invest in them every time they need something changed that should be really simple. Um, and if someone was doing WordPress the right way, even if it was just a single project, they would be easily providing a way for that client to update those things and they would never have to pay someone else to do that for them again. Yeah, that's exactly what I was looking for because that's <laughs> that's what I hear is it's like, okay, we need to change I don't know, something very simple, footer, something in the footer. And it's like, okay, call up the team, schedule a meeting, get them to evaluate it, you know, push it out to the development platform and then launch it, review it with corporate. <laughs> it's like, come on, right. just just fix it, right? Just fix the, the phone number. It takes Absolutely. two seconds. Um, so it's very interesting to see those uh, those differences. Um, if Pardot, and correct me if I'm wrong, but if Pardot went toe-to-toe with, say, a HubSpot, what are the differences? Oh, so that one's really easy. Um, HubSpot is pretty much primarily designed for business to consumer, right? And again, these are all overgeneralizations because that's what podcasts are all about. Yep. Uh, but uh, 
Pardot, again, is, is designed for B2B. And so there's a different way that business-to-business sales happen um, than B2C. You know, when you and me, we want to we buy a thing, right? We just want to buy a watch, a T-shirt, whatever. A lot of those are gut impulse purchases. Um, we see a coupon or we see something we like, and it just happens to click, and we work with it. Um, and so, but with, with B2B type stuff, you're looking at often research phases. You're looking at teams, looking at different products, comparing them to one another, having scheduled times to meet together and discuss purchasing decisions, getting purchasing approvals. Uh, and so it's a, it's a different process. It's much less about the gut and much more about giving people the information they need at the right time uh, and making sure that it's tailored to, are you looking for general information? Are you looking for more specific information? Are you looking to compare it with other services and things like that? And so the whole sort of process is different. And so in general, you know, for the most part, we don't consider HubSpot to be a major competitor in that way because we're designed sort of for different audiences. And so with ours, it's very calibrated, again, for B2B type stuff. So Matt, it's like me and you looking for uh, a larger purchase development tool, right? Something that we're paying for that we believe is going to give us the value we want, but we're not just clicking to pay $300 for a year of something unless we know that it's going to solve our problem. Gotcha. Now, I, I always like to um, see where I'm from. I'm right outside of Boston, and that's where, where HubSpot is. So HubSpot always comes up in sort of uh, my local client uh, mm-hmm. RFPs. It's always like, hey, we're on HubSpot, and uh, we heard about WordPress, and you know, how can you compare us, or how can you compare your services to HubSpot? So... I like to say that uh, HubSpot is grossly overpriced, <laughs> especially for the small business. Um, you know, somewhere about 600 bucks a month. Um, you know, and most of these folks are just using it because it's pulling in um, Google Analytics and maybe their email list all in one place. Whether or not folks are actually leveraging the power of the HubSpot platform is another argument. Can uh, you know, what are the the few major points that WordPress can solve in this whole marketing, you know, visitor tracking slash lead management game? Uh, is WordPress just a few notches away from having something integrated like a Pardot or a HubSpot? Or do you think that it'll always just be content management, uh, you know, and and nothing further? Oh, interesting. Uh, no, I think WordPress is capable of nearly anything you throw at it. The interesting thing that you come across with you know, something like what we're doing at Pardot, right, in terms of architecture scale and our entire application, you're not looking at the limitations of WordPress, which is that point you know, you can build in an interface in the admin area. You can use a lot of the you know, common functure, functions and helper functions and all that kind of stuff to write a lot of what you're doing. You can run it as a plugin. All that stuff is really doable. The, the problem comes from the server architecture side. Uh, and I think that a lot of limitations of WordPress, sort of like when people talk about WordPress security and other sort of common, you know, WordPress is not that cool type conversations from people are really just, well, yes, but your server can't handle what you're doing. Or, of course, WordPress is insecure when your password is password uh, and your username is admin. There are, uh, I think WordPress is capable of a lot more than folks give it credit for, and I'm glad to see that people have been talking about that in general. Um, But I think think that that anything like that is possible in WordPress. In fact, I've seen a couple companies basically start moving in that direction with a plugin that's meant to nurture leads 
automate some things, send out emails and all that kind of stuff. And, and I think that's really cool. The difference comes um, when a larger company starts needing to put in, you know, you've got millions of prospects and you need to run segmentation based on data that's in all of those data tables and all that kind of stuff. Uh, does your server know how to handle that when you've probably just picked a server that can handle your basic WordPress website needs? Right. And so that's where the complexity kind of comes into play. Gotcha. Yeah. So it's safe to say that you consider WordPress uh, a viable solution to, to perhaps build an app, uh, build an application on? Oh, yeah, for sure. Okay. <laughs> that was one of my next questions, but I think we've already covered that. Yeah. Um, so that's your day-to-day -day, uh, job. Let's talk about this music, Ridme. How are you involved? What is that like? Uh, give us the skinny. Yeah, so this is actually a, a great segue from talking about WordPress as an application. Um, so musicgrid.me, the sort of elevator pitch on this thing is when I was in high school, I learned about music, and I loved music, and I majored in classical music for a little while, um, and I still love music now. When I was in high school, I would see friends every day and we would talk about a new album and that's how you would discover music. If someone would tell you that something was good and then you would go buy it from Best Buy or whatever. Um, we're all older now and we don't see each other every day and we do whatever and you might not work with people whose musical opinions you value all the time or things like that. And so the idea here was basically is there a simple sort of social solution for people to review albums of music? Not singles, not playlists, but sort of the old school, the way my dad taught me to enjoy classic rock type idea of you should be listening to an album all the way through. Um, and you should figure out whether it's good at that point because you're buying albums as a whole. Um, and so the idea to that was nothing like that exists, probably because the vast majority of people who consume music have moved on to singles and playlists and things like that. Um, and so it was just sort of a fun experiment that me and my friend Kyle talked about and wanted to pursue and just see if we could build and uh, invite other people to be a part of. And so when I was also entertaining my other curiosities at the same time, I decided to see if I could build that whole thing on WordPress. And so I cranked out a really quick solution and we kind of put it behind uh, like a, a little beta wall or whatever else so that we can only you know, let people in who needed to be in because I had no idea if this thing was going to die if 100 people hopped on it at the same time and all this stuff. And in this process, we happened to come across a conversation with uh, a girl who was writing for Mashable at the time. And she ended up writing an article on what we were doing. And ever since then, it's sort of been a thing because uh, we like died uh, when that article was written. So got lots of inbound leads, got tons of uh, folks signed up for beta, just hundreds within minutes, uh, and it was just wild. And so ever since then, it was kind of an interesting thing to continue to pursue, uh, mostly because uh, it's a fun experiment, and it teaches me a lot because you know Kyle is not developing things with me, so he's sort of the brains of the operation. He's marketing ideas. Uh, and that's that's what his background is in. And so once we figured out that this could be a thing and could actually serve people, um, we just made sure we had a solid partnership and kind of moved forward with it. Um, but you know, I, I mentioned it was a good segue from WordPress as an application. The things that we're doing behind the scenes with Music Grid are outrageous in terms of people being really surprised that we're doing it on top of WordPress. Um, I mean, when you 
when you pull up a page, especially a home page and things like that, you, you literally see a grid of 40-something albums. Well, those are all cached API calls from three or four different places, smashed together, uh, and then rendered appropriately. Uh, and then we've got all these other things working. We've got reviews working. We've got social login so that you can see what your friends on Facebook have reviewed. So you have kind of a curated list of recent reviews and things like that. And then when you load up a single album page, not only do you see artwork and other Last.fm sort of metadata, but you also see streaming links from Spotify and RDO and YouTube and all this other kind of stuff because we want people to be able to hop on and listen to music quickly. And so, but these are all just tons and tons and tons of API calls. And on a rewrite that we launched on Record Store Day this year, um, I was able to go back and rewrite things the way that I wished I had always had. So it's a plugin that's maintaining all of this stuff and is got, it's got a very intricate web of the Transients API working together to make sure we can give people decent page load speed while pulling information from tons and tons of places and being highly visual. Uh, and the other fun feature of it is with WordPress, we can, when you search for an album, you transparently see albums that already exist in our database and albums that don't. And when you select one that hasn't been made yet, you're actually put through a WordPress script that programmatically creates things that you clicked on and then redirects you to them transparently. And so it's been a really cool experiment and we've continued to do a lot of things with it. And now we find ourselves uh, working with local record stores and things like that to use what we've already built to help them reach new audiences. And it's just been a really fun thing. And it's all been powered by WordPress. That is tremendous. And there's a ton mm -hmm. of, ton of things I want to uh, go back on, on, on this before, <laughs> before we get into the, in the te technical talk of, of this app running on WordPress and what that's like. You say that this is an experiment. Um, you kind of said that, you know, uh, Mashable had a piece, did a piece on you. I mean, this is the kind of exposure that people like work their butts off trying to get. Mm -hmm. um, and this sort of just kind of happened. Um, do you, did you, going into this, referring to this as an experiment, did you, did you consider yourself an entrepreneur? And this is like, hey, I, I want to build this thing. I want to build stuff. Or is this kind of just, hey, it's moving along and I'll take what I get? Yeah. So I don't know that I would consider myself to be an entrepreneur aside from, you know, being able to work with clients and doing contracting work outside of a full-time job, which I do uh, early in the morning. I don't work at night um, ever. And that's always a fun conversation to have with folks because, you know, you talked earlier about how to handle all the stuff that I've mentioned that I do to you and I never work at night. And I find that to be a really important thing. I come home and I spend time with my wife and that's what we do. And so, but also <laughs> I don't need that much sleep. And so I do a lot of stuff in the morning uh, before I go into work at all. And so, uh, but yeah, especially with Music Grid, what we've sort of done is just chosen to embrace what's come to us in that form. And one thing that I don't want to do right now uh, with Music Grid or with my contracting work and things like that, which I guess runs counter to a lot of folks, is I'm not really interested in growing it, those businesses to the point to where I would quote, be able to quit my full-time job. Um, I really enjoy my full-time job. Uh, I don't want to quit, uh, and I don't necessarily lionize the idea of being self-employed all the time as much as maybe other folks do. Um, and I'm really happy for folks when that works out for them, and that's what they'd like to do. But at this point, I, I really like what I do, and so I like to stay 
um, sort of running that course. And so, but what's interesting is with, you know, with contracting work, um, you know, I try to maintain a, a pretty standard idea of, you know, value-based pricing, making sure I, you know, I've worked only off referrals for five years now. Uh, and so I always make sure I'm, I've got happy clients. I vet my clients to make sure the folks that I work with were great fits for one another and everybody's going to be happy at the end of it. With the Music Grid, it's, it's decidedly, you know, me and Kyle have a partnership and then we have uh, James and Lauren who have come on to do some more kind of volunteering like we all do because none of us are, uh, you know, making profit off of this or anything like that. Uh, and so it's, it's very decidedly still an experiment. And so everything we kind of do with it is seeing what sticks. Uh, and, but what that allows us to do, because we're not more interested in making money than we are in being interesting, uh, we can kind of do whatever we want and decide to stick to our personality more than sticking to ROI or something like that. And so we, of course, minimize the amount of money that we got to put back into it to do anything, um, but we've managed to keep that pretty minimal. Uh, we've managed to get some revenue off of the platform that we have and helping local record stores. And so that goes just sort of right back into covering costs. And it allows us to just be a part of the music community and continue to be responsive to people so that we can build something that will continue to help other people the way it's helped us so far. Very interesting. Yeah. Inter interesting to hear the that you kind of automated yourself out of your last job, but no plans to do that at this job, <laughs> uh, even with all these other things going on on the side. Um, so that's Would a, not be possible. <laughs> um, not possible yet. Um, what? I, I like to think user experience is going to be something that uh, requires a little too much subjective and then objective <laughs> thought process to ever automate myself out of, uh, unless Ray Kurzweil had something to say about that. <laughs> um, so let, let's talk about real quick about the technology uh, that you're using on the Music Grid. Is, is it, does it still resemble WordPress? Uh, you say it runs with a plugin. Are you just keeping everything in, in one you know, neat little plugin? Uh, sort of give us the, uh, the, uh, the big thing, I guess, behind the scenes there. That's pretty amazing. Oh, yeah. So for the most part, everything that powers it is a central plugin that I've written. So all the API calls and things like that that we run... Uh, are, are running from that plugin as well as the script that I mentioned that kind of programmatically creates what you're looking for and then redirects you to it. So all that's coming out of a plugin. Uh, WordPress is still core, totally upgradable. Um, everything is is stock there. So everything else is plugin on top of that. Um, we've got a couple of other plugins that sort of work with it. Um, a couple of plugins that I've had to kind of hack apart because they fit a need but either hadn't been updated in a while or weren't robust enough to handle what we needed with hooks or something like that. And so there are a couple of things that I've sort of forked over and that we maintain. But for the most part, this is, uh, this is all plug-in-based stuff. And then we have, uh, we have a child theme running that handles the rest of the templates and all that kind of stuff and takes information from the plugins, spits it back out. Uh, and it's all pretty simple at this point. Uh, it was easy to know what I needed to do after I built it the first time in which I still kept core fine, but it was one of those uh, functions.php file is uh, a million miles long. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Um, well, that's tremendous, and I, I can't wait to see how much further that is going to go um, and just see kind of the stuff. Are you, are you planning on doing like some kind of case study on it or anything for like the WordPress community? Have you been? Maybe I just missed it. Um, have you been chatting about it in the WordPress community? 
I gave a talk at WordPress Atlanta on the Transience API, and almost 100% of that came from my experience with rebuilding MusicGrid, which at that point had not relaunched. Uh, but I learned so much about it at that point because it's a really great tool for very simple caching of you know, time-sensitive data mm. and things like that. But, but once you go into, you know, not only do we have tons and tons of API calls, but you know, just think about standard music information. You know, information on an album itself might not change, but new releases happen every Tuesday. Uh, new reviews from people happen whenever they get posted. And so it, it becomes a more complex means of, okay, I can create transients, but I don't need them to just expire based on time all the time. Sometimes I need them to expire based on action. Uh, but when I do that, then the next page load for somebody becomes really tedious. And so working all of those things together so that they create even a, a mildly snappy experience on a website has been fun. And so, yeah, a lot of work to the Transience API has gone in. Uh, and then uh, I'm a little wary to talk about this part in front of too many other folks in the WordPress community, but we've also had some interesting times working with an options table that is constantly fluctuating between one and two million rows at mm. any point. Wow. <laughs> so, but I see people talking, asking if it can be done with that table, and it can. Amazing. Um, yeah. So, I'm not a I'm not a uh, hardcore developer. Is there one thing that, uh, if somebody were to say, "Hey, Cliff, I'm about to start my own app built on WordPress," uh, is you know, is would you tell them what would, what what would be the keystone thing that you would tell them to pay attention to when building an app, uh, if there is one? Oh, yeah. So. Focusing on best practices, which are actually published, uh, WordPress best practices, running from there, and then every time you go to write a PHP function that's not just a string replace or something really standard, looking for a WordPress core helper function uh, will change your life. <laughs> uh, there are so many in there that some of them are even undocumented. Um, some of them are not well documented, but there are so many classes and functions in there that help you do what you're looking to do already and take advantage of things in WordPress that you hadn't even thought of. I mean, even the Transience API is a good example. There are a lot of different ways to cache things, but with Transience API, it's actually intelligently choosing which way that information is stored, whether it's done in memory or in a database, and it's actually taking care of a lot of that for you so that you don't have to write in all those checks and balances and all that, and it will save you so many lines of code. And so if you ever run into a problem, if, upgrade, if a WordPress upgrade is going to break what you've done or something like that, simply porting over to a better function is going to work out better because when you use a helper, um, you know, WordPress does pretty good about not completely killing all functions and things like that. And so sticking to best practices and looking for WordPress helper functions before you write anything complex uh, will save a lot of time. Amazing. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I feel like WordPress is the matrix and there's, <laughs> there's all these things that uh, that are in there, like these helper functions and 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 things that are, are not documented, documented, some that are really well documented, some that people have no idea about. It's almost like even Matt Mullenweg might not know about things that are happening and you have to <laughs> kind of just like go like door to door when Neo's running down a hallway and like, oh, like look at this function. I never even knew this existed or this API. I didn't even know that was there. Is that because it's open source and this is kind of like what happens with open source and you have so many people all around the world building on this? Would it be different if it were a commercial platform? 
I, I think so. And by far, WordPress is not the worst at that either. Uh, but, you know, it's it's part and parcel of the community aspect of the whole deal because if you, you know, if you talk to different people and ask them why the codex wasn't updated with a proper function, they would ask you why you hadn't gone and written documentation for that helper function. <laughs> Uh, and so it, it can be frustrating at times because you know y- you generally feel like you're not the right person to go in and make that change yourself or to to add information and, and things like that. But the strange thing is if you talk to those same people and ask them, you know, well, I, you know, who should do this? Because I don't think I'm the right person. They would tell you to give it a shot. Uh, and I remember when when WP Daily was up, I think one of the first articles I wrote for them was about essentially. Once I kind of got over the hump of being afraid that I wasn't the right person to give information in the WordPress community, I felt far more connected and learned a lot more because I realized, yeah, there are going to be some jerk people who are impatient with the fact that you put something up that wasn't quite right or you weren't knowledgeable enough. But for the most part, everybody is really helpful and you getting the ball rolling will help things happen. Um, And I remember writing a uh, Codex article during WordCamp Phoenix for I think it was a WP image class or something like that and just getting it rolling because getting into the process of just saying no one else has done it I guess I'll get it started and then if something is wrong at least more right information will be up there later um, having that mentality has helped me to get further involved and learn a lot more than I would have otherwise awesome uh, you have a number five on the list, and I wanted to know if we could chat about that or not. I wasn't sure how to present it or segue to it. Uh, if you're open to talk about it, we can discuss it. If not, we can move on. Let me go back and see what I put uh, here. This was the theme, and I can edit this part out if, if needed. So this oh. is talking about the theme. No, sure. Let's talk about it. All right. Let's go. What is it? <laughs> uh, I've gotten preliminary permission so that I don't uh, do anything rude, but... You know, standard theme uh, and 8-bit and all that stuff shut down, and I had started building a lot of stuff on standard theme. Uh, and so I, as soon as they announced that they were shutting it down, I knew that I could adapt what I needed to adapt to make it the theme that I was already making it out to be with child themes, uh, which is actually sort of closer to something like uh, like a Roots theme or something like that that starts out sort of basic so that I can build something in Bootstrap if it's a little less traditional blog or something like that. And so uh, I've been working on my own little fork of standard and I believe it's all going to be fine to release uh, before too long. So it's not going to be anything world changing and might not meet the needs of a whole lot of people because it's not really a plug and play type thing. Uh, But it's been fun and it's been something I've been using for projects myself and for client projects and things like that. Um, And so that should be hopefully being being put up in an open way before too long. Tremendous. Uh, are you going to monetize it right off the bat or is it going to be freely available? I'm not going to sell it. <laughs> nice, nice. Uh, any thoughts on that in, in the kind of the, the whole speak of a, um, you know, profiting with themes but being sustainable so that you can continue to support these folks um, who are buying it? So typical scenario nowadays, maybe somebody buys a theme for 40 bucks with lifetime support. Uh, we're seeing a lot of business, a lot of theme shops switching to at least an annual subscription rate, so that they can kind of continue to maintain these these projects. Any thoughts on that? Um, in general, I feel like people don't charge enough money um, for anything, uh, <laughs> at least WordPress related, I suppose. Um, 
I think people underestimate the value of a client who's willing to spend more to get something that they know is going to be excellent. Uh, but overall, especially in some of the things that have caused a lot of discussion recently in the WordPress community and all that stuff, uh, I mean, honestly, I'm not so sure why everybody is so bent out of shape about what another business is doing to make themselves more sustainable. Um, folks do it all the time. They start looking at math and they realize that those numbers don't come out to be the numbers that they want them to be. And so they're going to have to change some things. Uh, in general, in my own practices, uh, with clients and otherwise, uh, I make a point to try to care for people as much as I can and be the nicest person I can possibly be and be as helpful and giving as I can uh, without robbing myself of anything. Uh, and so those are my general rules and I feel like those will always apply to anything that gets monetized at all. I'm going to try to care for people and then when it goes beyond the bounds of what I can adequately provide without wasting too much of my own time or money, then I'm going to be honest with somebody and say, I, you know, I'm really sorry. This is the most and the best that I can do. And if that's not enough, either we need to part ways or uh, let me figure out how to make it right for you. Mm. You know, uh, we are kind of running out of time. I don't want to get too in-depth with the whole freelancing thing. Maybe have, mm -hmm. have you back sometime. But how do you manage the uh, the uh, uh, expectations? Sorry, lost the word. How do you manage the expectations of a client uh, you know, as soon as they start a project with you, do you just have a bulleted list and say, here's what I'm going to provide to you? Do you have a, a like a half hour chat with them to say, okay, I'm not your, like your first example with managing content. Like I'm going to build a site for you. That does not mean I'm going to migrate 300 pages of content for you. How do you go about managing your expectation with your client? Yeah. So generally my processes are, are pretty linear with folks because I need to let them know right off the bat that this is not a traditional agency situation, nor is this a traditional freelancing situation. Uh, you know, if you want to be able to call somebody during the day, uh, and you know, run feedback by me and all that kind of stuff, uh, I'm not the right guy for you. I'm going to be work. Uh, so you're going to have to be willing to go back and forth on email pretty easily. Uh, and you're going to have to be willing to work with me in that sense. And if you're not, I, I wish you Godspeed and I hope you find somebody else. Uh, and I make sure and refer you to a good person. But So I start there by managing those. Uh, and then from that point forward, it's usually a conversation. Sometimes I never talk to anybody face-to-face -face or even on the phone. It's just all email. Um, again, because a lot of my folks are, or all of my folks are referrals. Um, and so they come in ready to kind of listen. Uh, so, But from that point, the expectations are managed in terms of uh, first, I'm going to find out what you want to accomplish. And then we move from there, and I kind of recommend some services. But as soon as that proposal is there, I'm already putting numbers. So I put caps on everything because the first WordPress project I ever did, uh, someone didn't put that into the contract, and I ended up being expected to upload thousands, literally thousands of images and hundreds of videos. Wow. Um, and so I learned from that really quickly. And so I put numbers on everything, and when... We send the proposal over and we chat about it. I make sure they see those numbers. And I say, if you need that number to be different, that's fine. Uh, I'm going to be changing that price and then we're going to limit it again. And that's the most that we can do. But for the most part, when it comes to content and things like that, if, if there's a way for me to migrate it easily, I will happily do that for them and in include that in the price. Um, but beyond that, if it's going to be manual, I'm going to tell them, look, it's going to cost you a lot of money to have me do this because my time is probably more expensive than yours when it comes to content management. And I'd rather train you on how to do WordPress. And I feel like if you migrated your content yourself there, um, not only would you be better 
at WordPress, but I think you would like it and be more comfortable with it. Yeah, awesome. That's awesome. Um, all right, let's skip ahead. This has been an amazing interview. Some of the information that you've, well, all of the information that you've given uh, me and the audience has been tremendous. Uh, I think I'd love to have you back to talk more about that freelancing stuff sure. at, at a later date. Uh, let's jump into one of the last few segments. Uh, what's in your toolbox? Uh, any kind of unique app that folks might not know about that you use on a daily basis to keep everything together? Oh, interesting. Uh, hmm. I pretty much run things through AnyDo and then through my email. My email still works as my to-do list. It's far easier for me. Uh, and so between AnyDo to manage sort of tasks that aren't email related and then with email, just working with, uh, with the mailbox application for my phone. I wish they would come out with a desktop application, but for the most part, I use that so that I can snooze an email and have it pop back at 4 or 5 a.m. when I'm up one morning and I need to have that information back for the day. Um, that really helps me stay organized. Uh, beyond that, I've just kind of settled into my individual little code editors and things like that, but I still stay pretty traditional when it comes to email and task management and all that stuff because, again, my my days and the, the cadence of my days are, are pretty standard and have been for a while. Wake up and do a few different things in the morning, go to work, and then come home and chill out. Nice. Yeah. Let's jump into the lightning round. I'll ask you a series of quick questions, and you'll have a series of quick answers. <laughs> All right. Uh, the one plug-in you, plug you cannot live without besides your own. Uh, we'll go with Metabox. A favorite WordPress or business book? Oh, interesting. Uh, Design is a Job by Mike Montiero. A quote you live or run your business by? It's from C.S. Lewis. Uh, I'm going to try to repeat it for you if I can. Any man who bothers about originality will never be original. Whereas if you simply try to tell the truth without caring two pence about whether it has been told before, you will nine times out of ten be original without ever even having noticed. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. What's the best business or career advice you ever received? Oh, I ever received? Hmm. <laughs> I'm going to take this one from Don Draper because this one hands over, or, uh, hangs over my desk. You're good. Get better. Stop asking for things. <laughs> uh, what's the longest a client project has ever taken? <laughs> oh, you remember that one I was talking about earlier uh, with all the videos and images? Uh, yeah. That was that was over a year. Nice. <laughs> uh, if you had to switch to another CMS, what would it be? Ooh, Perch. I've heard that. I think somebody has said that before. It's looking good. <laughs> uh, who should I interview next? We've already talked about Tom, right? Yes. <laughs> hmm. He has nothing to do with WordPress, but I love to hear interviews with Alan Branch from Less Accounting. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. I've heard about him before. I think I've heard him on a few other podcasts, right? That guy's hilarious yeah. and just a big old teddy bear. <laughs> uh, what's the one question that I didn't ask you that I should have? <laughs> oh, that's a stumper. Oh, what's it like working for Salesforce? That was one of my questions. I didn't get to it. So can you briefly summarize what it's like? Oh, no, because I'm glad you didn't ask me. <laughs> no, nah, I'm just kidding. I, I don't really know yet. We're still new into the whole thing, but it's, a, it, it's an amazing process. They are a 
world-class company and the brilliant people that work there are so far beyond my understanding that it is daunting. <laughs> <laughs> Tremendous. All right, Cliff, this has been an amazing interview. I can't thank you enough for spending almost an hour with us. Uh, so I appreciate that. I'm sure the folks out there will appreciate that. Where can they find you on the web to say thanks? Uh, just hop on to cliffseal.com uh, and all the links you ever dream of uh, are there for you to get in touch. Tremendous. Thanks, Cliff. Uh, hopefully we can get you back next time. That'd be great. Thanks, Matt. <laughs>